because of Christ's perfect obedience when he was tempted, he earned the right to be your substitute on the cross. Not once in his entire life did he ever fail to love God perfectly. And not once in his entire life did he ever fail to love others as he loved himself. Welcome to The Word Unleashed with Tom Pennington. Tom is pastor-teacher at Countryside Bible Church in Southlake, Texas. Hello again, I'm Bill Wright, and today Tom concludes his current series with part six of Power Over Temptation. As we've examined the three temptations of Jesus in the desert, as recorded in Matthew chapter four, it's become clear that although Jesus is very much like us in his humanity, He's also uniquely able to withstand the temptations of Satan and is completely free from sin within. And as Tom will look at today, because of Jesus Christ's perfect obedience, not just in the three temptations that we've looked at so far, but throughout his entire life, not once did Jesus fail to do all that the Father required. Christ, the perfect God-man, earned the right to become the perfect savior and to be the perfect substitute for you in your own battle with temptation. Let's join Tom right now for more on The Word Unleashed. Turn to Colossians chapter three. Colossians chapter three, and notice verse five. As Paul is urging us to put on the new self, he says, verse five, consider the members of your earthly body as dead Two, and he lists a number of things, and he ends with greed. Greed is simply the desire to have more. It's the insatiable desire to lay hands on more stuff, on material things. But notice the shocking statement that Paul makes about greed. He says, which amounts to idolatry. What the Greek text says is this, greed which is idolatry. Greed, which is idolatry. In the parallel passage over in Ephesians 5, verse 5, it says the covetous man is an idolater. The greedy person is an idolater. You might as well fall down in front of a piece of stone if you live for material things. These passages make it very clear that to crave things is idolatry. Leon Morris writes, many who profess to follow Christ have purchased their own empires at the cost of the acceptance of evil, just as Jesus was tempted to do. Henry IV of Navarre, who lived in the 1500s, in order to be crowned king of France, chose to compromise his Protestant faith and to acknowledge the Catholic Church, which many of his compatriots had died for not doing. And when he was asked about it, he laughed and said this, Paris is well worth the Mass. Paris is well worth the Mass. For Jesus, the entire world was not worth a single bow. Now, when we think about this temptation, we see the form it took for Jesus. It doesn't take the same form for us. None of us are tempted to fall down in front of Satan to receive the kingdoms of the world. So what forms does it take for us? I'm not going to spend much time here except give you an outline, but I've put a number of verses on this slide and the next one. And this PowerPoint will be put onto the website sometime later this week. 
I would encourage you to take these slides and to study these references because this is where the temptation comes for us. First of all, when it comes to the temptation for power and wealth, it means not having them for some, but still craving them. Not having them, but craving them. Coveting them, wanting them. This is how many people live their lives. They never have power and wealth, but they spend their whole lives wanting it. Today's culture, American culture, is absolutely saturated with this manifestation of this third temptation. Our culture is almost sinking financially because people want what they cannot afford. And they have borrowed and borrowed and borrowed to get things, to get stuff. They are falling down at the idol of material possessions and wealth. God never intended for us to own and possess what we cannot afford to have. It's a lie. And yet, it's the temptation that many in the church are succumbing to. I've read a number of statistics that the reason at times the church in America suffers financially is because the people sitting in the pews don't have any extra money to give because they've spent it all on the latest whatever. Money they didn't have, and they've gone into debt to get it. The latest television, or the latest vehicle, or the latest and greatest house, or whatever it might be. Again, there's nothing wrong with owning these things. But you have to ask yourself, if you can't afford them, and you are borrowing to own them, what's really going on in your heart? This third temptation for us can easily take the form of never having these things really, but wanting the things that the wealthy have. A second path this temptation can take is pursuing power and wealth in a way contrary to God's commands. For example, pursuing it by force, stealing, robbing, pursuing it by stealth, lying, deceiving, cheating customers out of money, conniving, coming up with a plan in order to eke just a little more money out of people. Uh, I won't go into the specific vendor, but I had this just this week where it's clear to me that a company that I do business with purposefully chose to withhold information so that they could make a little more of my money. And I had to go find out something from them in order to get them to change the practice they'd put into place. Cheating, conniving, embezzling. Another way to pursue wealth and power contrary to God's commands is by sacrificing biblical priorities in order to do it. There are plenty of people who have no time for the things God has prescribed, like worship and church and using your gifts in the church and serving your family and ministering to them because they're off somewhere pursuing the God of wealth. Jesus said you cannot what? Serve the God and wealth. Can't be done. A third form that this temptation takes for us is by having wealth and power and responding sinfully, trusting in those things. The Bible over and over again says, if you have money, that is a gift from God. Don't put your trust in that. It'll go away by hoarding them, not being generous to give and to serve others, by disobeying God to keep them. You've got them. But you don't want to let them go, and so you're willing to lie for yourself or your company to stay in business, to keep doing what you want so you can get that money, neglecting other biblical commands 
like being generous, like caring for the needy, like serving in the church, like worship in order to stay at the job a little while longer and make sure you preserve what you've got. And a fourth path it takes is imagining that you are the reason for your power and wealth. That is a huge temptation, and we'll look at that in just a moment. Imagining that you are responsible. It's your intelligence. It's your hard work that has brought that success to you. Don't believe it for a moment. Now let me ask you to be honest with your heart for just a moment. Do you want power and wealth? Do you love it more than you love anything else, including God? Are you willing to disobey God to get it? Uh, you know, it's just a little compromise, and it's just a little white lie, and once I have these things, well, listen, I can use them for God. Well, I can take these things from my company and my employer. I mean, I deserve it. After all, they should be paying me more anyway for all, of I, all I contribute. Is that desire and its fulfillment what you believe will bring your highest and greatest happiness? And do you obey that desire and make sacrifices to satisfy it? Look at that list. All of those things are what we do to our gods for our idols. The heart of the third temptation of Christ then, just to review, is to pursue personal prosperity or self-fulfillment contrary to God's providence. It includes desiring position, authority, and power, wanting to rule others. It includes material possessions and wealth, wanting to possess more things. That's the temptation. Let's look at the biblical response. Verse 10, Then Jesus said to him, Go, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and serve Him only. Jesus begins His response to the third temptation with a command for Satan to leave. Go away, literally. Go! And for the first time in this temptation, in the, the ones recorded for us in Matthew, we are introduced to the personal name of this evil supernatural being. He's been called the devil, which is simply a title, which means slanderer or accuser. That's what he does. Satan is his personal name, and it's who he is. It means adversary, our enemy. Jesus says to him, go away, enemy, the enemy of God and good. And once again, Jesus defends against this temptation with the Word of God. He quotes Deuteronomy 6.13. And notice this quotation on the screen. The word only is the important word here. It speaks of exclusivity. That was the temptation. Not to worship a totally different God than the real God, but to worship something in addition to the real God. And that's where the temptation comes for us as well. This is a temptation to allow wealth to become an idol. Now, the context of what Jesus quotes is very important. Go back, and very insightful, go back to Deuteronomy 6, and let's look at it together. Deuteronomy 6, verse, we'll start at verse 10. Moses is here talking to the children of Israel. They're on the east side of the Jordan, waiting to go in and take the city of Jericho. For about two months they're there, and he's giving them a series of speeches, of sermons, if you will, telling again about God's law and what their responsibilities are to this new generation of people about to go in to take the promised land. He says in verse 10, "...it shall come about when the Lord your God brings you into the land which He swore to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you, 
great and splendid cities, watch this, which you did not build. Remember what's happening here. They're going to go from being slaves to living in cities and homes and enjoying all kinds of benefits that they didn't build and they didn't grow and they didn't develop. This is what Moses is saying. Verse 11, and houses full of all good things which you did not fill, and hewn cisterns which you did not dig. Of course, in that part of the world, having access to fresh water was crucial, and it was as valuable as anything else. Vineyards and olive trees which you did not plant. So you've got all of these things that God has provided for you. You eat and are satisfied. Watch yourself. Watch yourself. Because here's the temptation. You will forget the Lord who brought you from the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery. Now, you have to understand the Hebrew word forget. When we read that word, we think, oh, I forgot where I put my keys. Something just sort of slips out of the mind. In the biblical context, to forget is to make a conscious decision to turn from something to something else. That's what's going on here. You're going to get to enjoy all of these things, and here's what's going to be a temptation. You're going to be tempted to turn from God who brought you here and gave you all these things, and instead worship these good things. And that context, he says in verse 13, you shall fear only the Lord your God, and you shall worship Him and swear by His name. So this was the perfect verse for the response to the temptation to allow things, the possessions, power, to become important. Jesus responds with the perfect text. We are to only worship God. Now, what about the application for us? Turn with me to Luke 16 for a moment. Luke 16, because in Luke 16, Jesus is dealing with the Pharisees. And the Pharisees have a problem with money. There's a lot here that I just don't have time to to go over with you, but I want you uh, to skip down to verse 10. Jesus says, he who is faithful in a very little thing is faithful also in much, and he who is unrighteous in a very little thing is unrighteous also in much. Therefore, and here he explains what he means, therefore, if you have not been faithful in the use of unrighteous wealth, in other words, if you can't deal with your money rightly, who will entrust the true riches to you? And if you've not been faithful in the use of that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? The money wasn't yours. How you handle it is a stewardship. Now watch the Pharisees' response in verse 14. Now the Pharisees, who were lovers of money, were listening to all these things and were scoffing at him. And he said to them, you, who, you are those who justify yourselves in the sight of men, but God knows your hearts. For that in which is highly esteemed among men is detestable in the sight of God. And then he goes on in verse 19 to tell that familiar story about the rich man and Lazarus. And again, one of these times we will look at this story in greater detail, but let me just get you the big point. The big point in the context here, Jesus is talking about the fact that money isn't everything. But understand that in that culture, they embraced a philosophy, a theology, 
a retribution theology that what you enjoyed in this life was an evidence of either your righteousness or your wickedness. If you were righteous, then you had heaped upon you blessing upon blessing, you were wealthy. If you looked at a wealthy person in the Pharisees' theology, they were blessed by God, they were righteous. If you looked at a poor person, they in turn were despised by God, and they must therefore have been unrighteous. And so Jesus tells the story, and he throws their theology on its head because the rich man ends up in hell and the poor man ends up in heaven. The point Jesus is making to the Pharisees and to us is that money is not what you live for. Wealth is not what you live for. To put it in his words in a different place, what are you going to give in exchange for your soul? But if we're in Christ, what's the application for us? Turn to 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6. He's warning his son in the faith. Verse 9, he says, listen, those who want to get rich, those who are after money, that's what they're trying to get, fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires. So in other words, it's like a hotbed brewing other trouble And these things plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil. And here's the worst part. Some, by longing for it, have even wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves through with many griefs. There are people for whom money and wealth become so important that they will walk away from their commitment to Jesus Christ, showing, of course, that they never were truly in Christ. But notice his counsel to those who are wealthy. Verse 17, so I want you to instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited. Don't let it go to your head. You're not the reason you have it, but instead fix your hope on God, not the uncertainty of your riches, because God's the one who gives us all things to enjoy. Whatever you have, it's not your intelligence. There are people far more intelligent than you are who have nothing. There are people far more skilled than you are who have nothing. God is the one who gives wealth, according to Deuteronomy 8. And he says then, verse 18, instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. And in so doing, they will store up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is life indeed. By looking at their money rightly, Their vision is not obscured about what's important. They can see clearly, and they're building toward the future. That's how we're to respond. We're to respond like Jesus did. Just as Jesus said no to this temptation, so are we. Matthew, back in Matthew 4, Matthew says in verse 11, when this temptation was done, the devil left him, and behold, angels came and began to minister to him. Of course, Satan wasn't done with Jesus forever. Luke 4 says the devil left him until an opportune time. He'd tempt Jesus again, but he left for now. And after Satan left, it says the angels ministered to Jesus like they did for Elijah, probably bringing him food, caring for him in other ways. They served and ministered to Jesus. So let's wrap all of this up, our study of these three temptations. If you were to make a list of all the recurring sins and temptations in your life. In fact, I would encourage you to do that. 
either mentally now or at some point, make a little list. You can destroy it after it's written, but write it down and then look at that list. I can promise you this. Ultimately, you can trace all of those sins in your life, all of those recurring temptations to, these, to one or more of these three root temptations. This is what lies beneath everything. This is what makes the world go round, as the song says. Here it is. In the order of 1 John 2, first of all, the lust of the flesh, that is self-satisfaction, craving and pursuing the satisfaction of the body's appetites contrary to the Word of God. The lust of the eyes, self-fulfillment, craving and pursuing personal prosperity contrary to God's providence, and the boastful pride of life or self-promotion, craving and pursuing personal glory at the expense of God's glory. Every sin you are tempted to commit traces back to one of these three. And if you want to gain victory over the temptations in your life, you have got to start by dealing with the root and not the fruit. We can overcome these temptations in our lives as Jesus did. He showed us how by a proper understanding and application of God's Word. This is one of the reasons that Jesus' temptations are recorded, to provide us with a pattern for how to overcome temptation in our own lives. But more importantly, Jesus' victory over temptation is recorded for us in order to demonstrate His power over temptation. Christian, when you read the temptation of Jesus Christ, you should be overwhelmed with a feeling of gratitude and joy because of Christ's crushing victory over Satan and his temptations. That is the foundation for two huge theological words on which our lives hinge. The first word is substitution. Because of Christ's perfect obedience, when he was tempted, he earned the right to be your substitute on the cross. He was a lamb, what? Without spot and without blemish. He didn't give in. Those temptations you face and give in to, he never gave in. Not once in his entire life did he ever fail to love God perfectly. And not once in his entire life did he ever fail to love others as he loved himself. And because of that, He is qualified to be your substitute. The other word is justification. Because of Christ's perfect obedience, not just in this temptation, not just these three times, not just those 40 days, but for 33 years, because of Jesus' perfect obedience, the Father can take that package of obedience, that life of perfect obedience to God, and He can credit it to my account. These three temptations show us that Jesus is fully qualified to rescue us from sin because He Himself was never touched by it. As the song says, hallelujah, what a Savior. That's Tom Pennington here on The Word Unleashed. And that concludes our current series titled, 
power over temptation. Join us next time for a brand new series as Tom once again takes us to God's Word. And Tom, before we end our time today, would you share a closing thought with us? I think the two most important lessons for us to bring out of this series together is, first of all, remembering that our Lord is the only one who faced temptation in every form that we face it, yet without sin. He is qualified in every way to be our Savior. I think the other thing to remember is that He is also, once we come to know Him as Savior and Lord, He is our pattern in facing temptation. Study these passages. Meditate on His response, because in His response, using a clear understanding of God's Word, we learn what our response should be. We need to be armed with the Scripture, having thought it through, being able to wield it against the temptation in that very moment in order to overcome. Thanks, Tom. And friend, to serve as an elder in a local church is a noble ambition, but it comes with a sobering responsibility. The existing church leadership must actively be seeking to identify, equip, and appoint elders to continue the work of ministry. Invite your pastor and other church leaders to join Tom Pennington February 18th in South Lake, Texas, as he is a featured speaker at this year's XL Ministries training conference, Becoming Biblical Elders. Visit thewordunleashed.org for more information and registration links to the conference. The Word Unleashed is made possible because of the prayers and financial gifts of individuals like you. Please consider partnering with us. You can find out how to do so by visiting thewordunleashed.org. That's thewordunleashed.org. And now for Tom Pennington and the entire team, I'm Bill Wright. Thanks for listening to The Word Unleashed, exalting God's glory, explaining God's truth.